everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to The Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. I'm Willie Romano Pugh. Hey, my name is Jakob, and this is a podcast where we will do a deep read into each and every episode of The Wire. We always appreciate all of you listeners out there for coming in each week to get a little crazy with us. Uh, and as always, if you have any money lying around, please be sure to donate at anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. And with that, let's get into season two, episode to collateral damage yes collateral collateral damage it is uh so just getting started we uh get to see the yeah the the death toll of the uh yeah the fallout yeah, the catastrophe that's occurred yeah disaster that's now on the hands of uh well that's the question who wants to take control <laughs> or who wants to take on these uh yeah. all these dead women no one wants 13 uh jane does on their hands so yeah. that's you know we're greeted with that uh you know it's interesting that the majority of this episode is really just like concentrated on a def- bunch of different people from different branches of uh, law enforcement or different locations constantly playing hot potato with who's gonna you know take the brunt of the responsibility for investigating these 13 uh, sorry 14 murders (laughs) and it's just funny that like in a typical cop show we might see you know as soon as murders are discovered, oh, they're going to spring into action to have justice served and whatnot. But since it's in such a like precarious location of a woman's body, you know, getting drifted over across the county line into, you know, another jurisdiction, everybody is going to, you know, bust out their most specific details so they can evade the responsibility. Even in, uh, in Bunk and Bunk and Lester's case, they spent like the whole last season working on a detail that ended up, you know, with limited, with a limited cathartic outcome where they didn't really get too much done so they're reluctant to take on this whole new responsibility of you know performing thankless you know tedious tasks that might not lead to anything well yeah lester for the most part bunk was kind of like a ancillary member right yeah but you know we we get the big picture i yeah there yeah it's like we have a double and Pimlico we're working always Pimlico man Pimlico <laughs> is just action all the time but uh yeah they're like can we do that instead but Landsman is not cutting them a break because he needs his best and brightest as opposed to uh yeah Ray Cole who's he, he doesn't necessarily explicitly say he's a bad detective which is pretty messed up because uh you know after landsman gives them that spiel cole's like comes out and it's just like he's, <laughs> he's like happy. totally yeah he's totally aware of what's going on and he's just you know he's bagging on them for getting stuck with everything it's it's almost like wait a minute was he in on it with landsman or something <laughs> yeah. something something had to have happened there yeah they got backdoored they got backdoored like jj watt <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny if you like look at this like in the context of what was going on with santangelo in the last season that they just 
kind of like, I don't know, like maybe being a detective in Baltimore is so stressful that they kind of relish in the idea that they could be like considered unworthy or bad at their job. So they just get stuck with some bullshit job where they don't actually have to do a lot of work. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tedious and, yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like a theme of people just uh, looking to put in their their years right. so they can qualify for their pension. So it's right. like, uh, you know, why do why do more for the same? I mean, overtime, but even if your city's so broke that they can't really afford. Well, OK, <laughs> they can, but um, the it's not always like distributed fairly. Exactly. Johns Hopkins, we're talking like about there's you not here. oversight. Uh, yeah. Gun Trace Task Force, millions of dollars in overtime <laughs> yeah. to hang out at uh, casinos while they're sergeants, like wherever, <laughs> you know. It's all off. Yeah. Planning, it's all- planning more robberies it's also interesting you know after a whole season of Rawls really riding Jimmy's ass and appearing to be like almost kind of like a villain in some way like how much uh the rest of the department kind of like looks up to him and is championing him for really holding his own uh in the debate with uh cops from other districts on who's gonna take the the weight of these murders yeah. they're all uh, like cheering him on so it's really yeah, funny the Mar- Maryland the Maryland State Police the State Police yeah it's yeah, he's up against them the Port Authority, the right. Coast Guard, as Jimmy's just brilliantly playing them against, you know, against Rawls, essentially. They come up with all, you know, the details, which I don't have on the top of my head, how, how long the Atlantic light was docked and so forth to where they triangulated it to show that in the three-hour death window, um, it was... Yeah, the ship was under city jurisdiction. All, all it took was three hours, three hours of hard work on the, with the tide, the tide charts. We learned uh, that's how he came up. That's how he came up, came up with his formula uh, the whole time while eating crab with a uh, bunk and drinking beer. Just like, yeah, I did that. Right. And it's interesting to note that this is, <laughs> I don't know if this is <laughs> accidental or intentional mm-hmm. on the creators as parts, but uh, this is the second time where a cop has like uncovered a potential new case or a, a lead to chase um, by clearing away greasy meat from a newspaper article. <laughs> we saw it in season one when uh, Prezbaluski had his like chicken wing bones all over the newspaper that got thrown into a trash and Lester uh, uncovered some uh, financial corruption or political corruption. And then in this season, when Bunk and McNulty are eating some crab legs over the table, he has to, you know, brush aside all the bones and carcasses to find out about the 13 uh women that were killed in the in the can while bunk is in the middle of bunk trying to like get his attention back on like what they were talking about in the first season with getting omar to testify in the william gant case (laughs) like mcnulty is so like like, laser focused on uh embiggening his narcissism or whatever yeah 
it's like ADHD to the max when it comes to cases and just his whole lifestyle. Like Jimmy, I really like I've gone to bat for you. Show the bunk some love and bring that weirdo Omar home from wherever you saw him off to. It's like, oh, what more more cases to yeah. And then eventually, as we've noted, all like in that moment, it's extremely consequential for bunks uh you know his caseload and future because all those cases will get dumped on his lap right so not only did jimmy not not help deliver his key witness to, to nail down bird he gives him more work exactly indirectly. and i mean uh, so i feel like BD, great partner yeah bd russell Former partner <laughs> B- BD Russell kind of speaks for all of us when she's talking to McNulty and, you know, he discovers the crushed air pipe and whatnot. And he uh, reveals to the medical examiner that they're going to have like murder case on their hands with all this or homicide. She, when she finds out like, wait, you're just doing this to screw over your boss. Like you don't even have like any real like stake in this with your career or not. You're with the Marine unit and you're just like poking around because you have some old score to settle. (laughs) I think also though, you know, as he's described natural police and whatnot, he, when he sees a case or something that he knows will just probably be swept under the rug and never solved. I mean, you know, as much as it stokes his own ego, he, I think he, you know, he, he does want to do the job and feels like as, you know, the resident smartest guy in the room, you know, if he's not involved and it's never going to get done correctly. So, you know, I guess there is collateral on that too, if you will, where he'll, he'll damage things often beyond repair, but in the long run, things usually do get done when he's working on them. <laughs> uh, it's an unfortunate reality. You have to work with someone that, that, that is that narcissistic and egotistical. But all his prior relationships pay off where he can get Frazier, the ME, to do all these crazy computations <laughs> on how much cubic air or how many... I don't even understand any of it, but he... Yeah kind of throws B.D. Russell for a loop saying that he's not necessarily a doctor. I mean, his response to, you know, being asked, are you a doctor is State Bureau of Mines. And I don't know. I mean, I hate to put you on the spot, but do you have any like insight on what the hell that means? Based maybe on maybe past work involving mines and stuff. <laughs> uh, I was in a movie that took place in a haunted mine shaft, um, but <laughs> the, um, great my, movie. Stay out, stay alive. Thanks. Um, I, the only thing I can think of is that, like, maybe somebody who works on uh, assessing the safety of mines knows that there is a lot of. Um, suffocation that happens uh with people who fall down Brilliant, mine shafts yeah. and uh they could use his expertise to uh assess the damage there or if there was any ill intent i don't know um if you have a better answer out there anybody please educate us yeah <laughs> any mine experts please don't hesitate to yeah. write in please do the gods will not save you at gmail.com
There but I feel like you were about to get started on something and I cut you off to ask you that question. Oh, that no, that's probably okay. could have waited to one of our segments, but I appreciate <laughs> that answer. That's a shot very plausible sure. and logical. Um, oh, it's a shot, shot in the shaft, down the shaft. <laughs> it's a shot in the can. Shot uh, in the, okay, yeah, the shot in the shaft doesn't sound too well. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> it sounds fine. Doctober. That's right. We're we're officially in October, right? Watching season two of The Wire during October. You know, everybody who's listening to this, join us in spirit with the hashtag. We know it's all on the tip of your tongues, all you season two Wire October watchers. Let's talk a little bit about how uh, this incident reverberates uh, throughout the dock with all the the workers and uh, the Greek and the criminal organization that Frank finds himself in bed with, shall we? Yeah, great uh, scene where Frank goes to little Johnny's to confront the Greek mm-hmm. or who he, he knows as the point person because they don't they don't really know who the real Greek is, even though he's not really a real Greek right? <laughs> in the long run. But whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyways, great scene of uh, Frank confronting Spiros and. You know, Nick Nick is uh, obviously a lot more hesitant to confront them. Like, hey, Uncle, like Uncle Frank, they said it's all good. And he's like, Chris Bauer's just like going full. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's interesting. Uh, Chris Bauer, as you mentioned, who plays Frank Sabatka, is a great actor. Um, he's kind of like the the chief antagonist for this season um, in terms of, you know, it, Valchek has a detail set up against him no matter how flimsy to bring him down because he's pissed off about like a, a, church, a church window um, but so Frank Sabatka is kind of like the chief antagonist of this season but it's different from other storylines that we see throughout the show because he is not in like he's doing crime reluctantly and it's not out of like self-preservation or you know his own interest he's purely interested in like you know helping his work family out and showing them that you know he can provide for them even if he does have to get in bed with the you know, shady people. And there's something very revealing about the little exchange of dialogue when uh, Spiros is like giving him just like a taste of what could be uh, found in the cans that they're smuggling in for them. Um, And we quickly see that Sabatka is going to like shut down any efforts at trying to play righteous with them or try to get even with them once he realizes how dangerous they are and how everything is kind of inevitable and sealed at this point that he's going to have to like keep quiet if he wants to survive and if he wants to keep bringing in the kind of cast that they are. That makes sense. You can say, yeah, at this point he almost has to compartmentalize all of his there you uh, go. <laughs> angst. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Put it in the container. No, but uh, yeah, I mean, he still will need to air it out at times, though, and that will manifest in various, uh, you know, you know, other other situations that arise or he'll, you know, he'll feel the stress. And basically, whether they come to the agreement 
of that as long as there's something breathing in the containers he needs to know but he doesn't care about the arms and (laughs) so forth even if it was a joke but we know that like spiros doesn't play so (laughs) but then is is it around then how soon after that is kind of a light-hearted conversation had between him and the horse space about horse space lifting a couple (laughs) like cases of vodka and then he's like yeah it might be four and then it's like oh ha, 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 horse face you're so crazy like like the good old times you know i found that interesting kind of that just juxtaposition i don't know yeah. if there's any significance in that or i'm just uh losing my mind yeah i don't know i think it just has frank on high alert what has happened so he's trying to uh you know he's he's well it's kind of tricky because he might be like gently kind of like, Hey, come on, don't cut that out. Don't do that. But he's fully like uh, participating in the whole hijinks when they steal one of Valchek's uh, Valchek surveillance fans. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say like, Oh, well, Frank Sabatka, you know, he learned his lesson and he's trying to straighten them up when he's like fully engaged in the pissing contest he has with Valchek. <laughs> so. It's a man of contradictions, which uh, this show is really brilliant at depicting with all characters. Exactly. I I just want to circle back real quick to, uh, you know, the kernel of the idea that Valchek has to set up a detail to bring down Frank Sabatka because he's suspicious of him showing uh, like some money around and how he brings this uh, to... uh, Burrell's desk and he like proposes the idea to him and he's just like well why why do you want to why do you want to do this and Valchek is just like because he's an asshole and it's just like really funny that it's such a like <laughs> it's such a like political game that like Lieutenant Daniels had to like beg and plea for his case to get more legs and like so that they could actually bring down like a huge corrupt criminal organization but since uh it's politically expedient for the both of them Burrell's just like oh yeah this guy's got a grudge sure I'll I'll allow it do whatever you want <laughs> yeah it's great that was a great uh act out I'm really excited to the for the potential of you know you know what you have in store for us moving forward with these uh Polish characters and so forth <laughs> <laughs> but I mean yeah it got really personal, so it makes sense. I mean, upon learning of all the, uh, you know, shady behind the scenes lobbying and so forth and Frank's efforts to get in touch with the uh, crowd in Annapolis and so forth, he realizes there's a lot more at play yeah. between, you know, Frank and potential criminal elements. But yeah, Frank also, you know, you get to see how... A, tight-knit of a community and how you know the world in which the docks operate where it's like this you know southeastern regions of baltimore everyone's connected in in one way or less and how valchek you know given you know who we see him as is, is you know he's the asshole too is 
was known as like a nerdy guy that no one, you know, like unpopular, <laughs> yeah. kind of just the stereotypical, like, you know, little, like, you know, just jerk that, you know, when you think of someone who wants to be a cop, maybe to get back at people like Frank, who might've been, you know, perceived as like cooler. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a, what they would call the boomers. Like, he's a fink. Yeah, I mean, Valchek just, you know, like uh, Frank's dad knew, knew him, like when he was a kid in one way or another at Holy Redeemer Church. So I don't know if Frank's dad was a, like involved in the church or just he worshipped or they were in the same parish. Yeah. And none of, none of the girls at the CYO dances, the Catholic Youth Organization. Uh, that I know, though, I know that because I... Grew up playing CYO basketball, even though, you know, it was just like whatever church you were near, but it was like a neighborhood thing, but kind of shed some light on the whole parish mentality like that these two guys existed in. So super uh, you know, petty. It's like a generational thing too, I guess. Yeah, super petty. And then stand Hoxalugi on a on a, the floor of the IB, uh, IBS right. um, headquarters. So, yeah, disrespect all over. It's like a yeah, working class uh, Polish Twitter beef or something. <laughs> but in real life. <laughs> imagine, imagine Stan and Frank having Twitter accounts back then. Uh, I can't even imagine. Maybe we, could, maybe we could get Simon to stage like a Twitter beef and he could just play both roles. Like imagine, imagine how gold that would be. <laughs> That'd be great. You fucking squib. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's interesting. You know, they start this whole um, harassment campaign of the dock workers by like ticketing their cars for really uh, bullshit reasons. And they're doing the DUI checkpoints. And in the midst of all this, we see a uh, Sergeant Carver pop up in his new post. Um <laughs> and he's kind of like reluctant to like even like hassle these guys because he knows he's doing just like bullshit busy police work but we see kind of like the first uh glimpse of him like possibly coming into his own as like a, a Cedric Daniels uh copy or like you know a protege of him because he's he's talking about the chain of command with uh Frank Sabatka which is one of uh Daniels's off repeated taglines from the first season so some, some little uh, uh um uh detail of a character's personal growth that we get to uh, witness in this so that was nice mm -hmm. maybe he's feeling yeah. a little guilty about being a fucking rat from the last season <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's great yeah carver carver doing carver things mm -hmm. but uh <laughs> being a rat <laughs> Oh man, that's good. Yeah, yeah, he was. Thanks for reminding us all. Like, I mean, you probably, you know, in this endeavor, have championed, you know, his arc and his redeeming qualities as a cop, you know, more so. So, uh, you know, as far as what we see him become later on in the show, though, right. but it's good to know that you still, you know, will hold him accountable to his rat like tendencies when at the drop of a dime so right <laughs> we got, it's not we safe got. carver carver doesn't really want to play the game though but he will i mean he doesn't want to mess is it just like also does he realize like how tough those guys are i don't really think it matters huh uh, i mean 
he's the police. Yeah. I mean, they probably do have like an inkling as to what kind of guys they are because Valchek has probably given them all like speeches on how much he hates them and all that but he's you know he's probably gonna throw his authority around a little i mean well no because he seems reluctant to do it so i feel like he's just you know he's a he's a dude for hire at this point just doing what his boss is telling him to but he wants to let them know that he he sympathizes with uh with the ibs well you had mentioned the uh, dui or dwi checkpoint Mm -hmm. and uh, you know makes complete sense given the alcohol abuse that we uh, Uh, yeah yeah it's like early early on in the morning i mean who was it Ott is that is that his name the guy who's like who the hell gets drunk at eight in the morning it's like well (laughs) we know someone who if you're not drunk you guys are all drinking but ziggy's back there knocking back some shots or he he took at least yeah two on screen because he's a little distressed that uh nick doesn't want to get into the uh drug drug game with him or you know join him because as we see, uh, Ziggy's already actually had his foray into drug dealing, but he's so bad at it that not even white Mike McArdle will, will do business with him anymore. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. The, the little um, interaction little he has wrinkle. where, yeah, like this uh, kind of low level drug dealer is basically telling Ziggy to fuck off and that he's worthless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty funny. He called him a rat face. So I know that I, th- I was hoping for like a good rat insult especially after your Carver uh, comments. Yeah, I mean, he he is a rat. I mean, <laughs> he, I mean, they're all rat. Yeah, man, at this point, Nick is still a little self-preserving where he obviously knows more than the viewer does at this, at, at their point of their conversation at the bar. You know, it's like, I don't know, maybe some people would think, or maybe I thought like, oh yeah, that seems like, you know, Nick's struggling or whatever. He's like kind of just floundering about getting part-time work like why you know we know his cousin's pretty nuts but well, you never know but then we learn right away like Ziggy's terrible like you know everything. It, it all falls in. there's no a cur- yeah there's no curveball like it, his drug dealing abilities are pretty much on par with you know his normal behavior so makes complete yeah. sense and it's just ironic that yeah, he, he wanted Nick to double down <laughs> Yeah. It's ironic it's like that more money, bigger package. Yeah, more dead girls and kids. <laughs> no, I th- there's a delay. Um but it's just funny and or well not funny, it's just ironic that Frank is ostensibly like doing this uh you know, don't ask, don't tell approach to organize crime in hopes that, you know, he can have enough to provide for his family so that they don't have to do anything, but he's just kind of more or less encouraging Ziggy to get into this shit by not addressing the bigger issues of his uh, failures of fatherhood. Yep. Parenting mishaps. And yeah. 
we'll get to the like themes around that I'm sure as we move on and get to see everyone's miscues as a parent so yeah. we'll have some fun with that but yeah that's a great point you know and Ziggy states it like you know that everyone's drumming up the like you know gung-ho call to to work you know like wow we just chugged our beers we're like the strong working men we're off to work da, da, da. it's like Ziggy's like hey I'm working too but on a different you know different project right i'm on a different schedule but i mean can you can get really sick from drinking a raw egg like that can't you like are they really (laughs) (laughs) willie get your coddled ass immune system stance away no i'm scared I mean, it's just hard to imagine. That's disgusting. It's hard to imagine. Someone who suffered from egg allergies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's just hard to imagine that that would be like a a thing that would sustain you enough on a like full day where you're doing like back breaking labor and really hard physical work. I definitely wouldn't even want to be drunk doing that. Like that's horrible. It's just like putting myself in those people's (laughs) shoes. Like it really is like, man, I don't know if I had to choose. That's, that's the whole point. Yeah. If I had to choose between being in the shooting gallery with bubs and, or like getting drunk, getting like blackout drunk with those guys before they, you know, set off on a day of doing backbreaking physical labor. I well, no, they're both pretty terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I'm about to say, like, really? I mean, after you watch the coroner, too, like uh, yeah, uh, a lady with true. her arm falling off due to like uh, abscesses or. And by the way, I think you're overstating like the drink. I, I To me, I look at it as like, you know, a recovery beer situation more so okay, than like, yeah. yeah, let's get drunk before work. Because isn't that what a hangover really is? It's just your body going into withdrawals. So if they're drinking every night to get to get drunk, then they need like that. You know, that's what that's what Nick does in last episode. Yeah, he just chugs a beer first thing in the morning to like I mean, we can't both sit here and say we've never really done that to like feel better on a on a like, you know, of course like in a more party environment, not like on our day to day schedule. That sounds terrible. But you're right. You're right. I'm really glad, you know, being on this venture with you, knowing that my partner on this <laughs> project is not someone who's like gonna just see like spiral into like, yeah, I had to get like started with two beers today. But then right. we, you know, I shouldn't we're, have we're been, turning into a good place. I shouldn't have been judgmental of their lifestyle if I was. I totally understand their methodology now that you broke it down for me. Like I'm a fucking little kid who doesn't understand alcohol <laughs> yeah like i might as well be in your in your room right now like explain this to you whiteboard your yeah. bedroom window yeah like as you are that little kid riding in circles on like the trike like hey this is how like alcoholics repair themselves for the day right <laughs> uh, stupid 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 okay willie's back now he did not get up to bang his face against uh, his drywall uh but uh, i mean you know honestly though i do see some of what you're getting at bubbles just does seem way more you know 
if we can pick at this more now that you brought it up. He just seems like more knowledgeable and fun. Like aside from the heavy heroin, you seem like just lack of showering, it seems. But I mean, you know, he seems like if you were going to spend your day, like I'd rather probably hang out with someone like smart like him as opposed to like not saying the meathead stevedores aren't, but they just right. seem like eh, you know, it gets redundant. Like that, I should uh, keep my dime store college dorm room analysis to myself. It's fucking amateur. <laughs> I mean, if that, if you gave that analysis in a dorm room, you'd be like no longer invited to any of the cool parties that me and my frat bros would like hypothetical frat would be throwing. <laughs> like, look at this freak. You'd rather do heroin with junkies than woo, drink a four loco. I feel like Ziggy would probably be into something like that. And he would also be the first person to get kicked out of the frat party for throwing up somewhere, showing his penis or bringing a pet duck. You know, he's like the prototypical like asshole college kid that nobody wants to yeah, party with until he or he might get kicked out for doing yes all the above and then also uttering fuck college kids oh <laughs> uh, yeah that's right <laughs> all right <laughs> what Ziggy else hates I college kids yeah um what uh, else do we have to talk anyway. oh i wanted to i wanted to bring up something when uh valchek is uh talking to crotchick oh, okay yeah okay so at one point when uh valchek is like telling crotchick about uh you know all the shady dealings that uh frank's a vodka involved with and like he says something like oh yeah this guy's crooked and they like laugh it off for a bit but then there's like a brief shot of like Andy Krawcheck looking back at Valchek as he looks away like oh like I hope he doesn't know that I'm crooked like I hope he doesn't know that like I'm doing like real estate deals with drug dealers and crooked state senators like it's 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 pretty crazy like I probably like didn't catch that little glance the first time I watched it, but they're already like setting the stage for, you know, his storyline in season three, where he starts doing, you know, crazy, illegal, corrupt dealings with Stringer Bell and the like with uh, um, Clay Davis. So, yeah, because just on his way out. Uh, yeah, that's cute. I think I missed that whole look, but I I think I was going to bring up how, you know, alluding to, you know, the whole storyline that you just brought up, the uh, the glance at the model of the grain pier, or the right. uh, development that's to take place, you know, in that area. It's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, those two, man. God, I don't know. Krawcheck, yeah, he's an interesting guy. He gets but, uh, so he's he's so obsessive about his little pet project that he moves the little toy boat back to its original place that Valchek had picked up. We have the whole parallel storyline of the. Um, well, it's not necessarily parallel to what's taking place on the docks but you know the world of the the drug dealers <laughs> right we got if a, i could sum it up more articulately the barksdale crew <laughs> yeah. the we drug dealers 
Yeah, this is the first time uh, we get a, a look at D'Angelo. Uh, sad. It's not yeah. looking good for him. His, his hair is a little more grown out and he's snorting heroin and listening to music on his headphones to get through the day. Sad sight to see. Um, yeah. And it's and like... Avon. Avon just like happens to come across that just as it wraps up which is pretty awkward for everyone yeah i mean it's awkward for everyone also it's pretty like terrible and sad to think that d'angelo really truly doesn't have anyone that could support him anymore because the people in his family think that they're like in some way helping him by getting him to, you know, take these years, but they, you know, are just further dooming him to a life of crime. And then, you know, there's people giving him drugs, which is of course not good and messing him up. It's just, uh, man, it's really, really setting the stage for how tragic uh, his whole arc is, I gotta say. And it's like the cycle of his experience going from drug dealer to now he's on the, you know, the end, the other end of the spectrum as a drug user. Right. Potentially, you know, we don't know whose drugs he's taking, but we, you know, this scene... This, the stage has been set this episode for, uh, you know, as far as the politics of drug dealing within the prison, because Officer Tillum, Tillman, Tillman yeah. is, uh, you know, now in the sights of Avon and he's dealing on the side in jail as a CO. And we all know Avon still, you know, has his hands in, in everything and wields tremendous power, even being a prisoner yeah his power is kind of waning though i mean roberto the guy from new york got caught so now they have to get stringer to go to atlanta to uh, replenish their supply i mean things are looking kind of rough for him a rim shop in atlanta yeah vargas um there you go but it's just a it's so crazy to me that look of like disdain that avon had for the guy that was in uh d'angelo's cell with him who gave him the heroin to snort knowing full well that he is like one of like the main contributors to uh people having you know horrible addictive debilitating conditions like that so yeah really uh goes to show you the 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 lengths people will go to to separate themselves from their line of work exactly interesting peek into avon psychology there um so yeah what else we got going on uh brianna is a bad mom uh <laughs> yeah i mean you pretty much you pretty much wrapped it all up <laughs> String- uh, d has no one <laughs> avon really wants donette to come and visit but we all know how that's gonna turn out but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a really depressing yeah. situation. I mean, Weebay is getting bullied by Tillman, right. setting the stage for Avon's uh, plot. 
Now, this is an interesting uh, thing that I've considered in the past. No, no, we know that Stringer is having an affair with Donette, and we see him questioning Avon um, about D'Angelo's loyalty. He's like maybe concerned that he's going to break or flip or snitch or whatever. And we later find out that, you know, Stringer is having an affair with Donette. Now, is he having an affair with her because there's an attraction or is it because he's trying to get information about D'Angelo? And when did he start having an affair with her? Was it in the first season while D'Angelo was still free or did that start up after he went to jail? I mean, it's, I think that it's, a, yeah, it's interesting to think that knowing Stringer's, you know, savvy and some, you know, in, in yeah. certain aspects, uh, you know, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that maybe he knows more I about mean, he, D'Angelo than Avon does and so forth yeah. because he's using Donette to leverage that information, like you said. So he's so yeah. Machiavellian in that sense that he's. <laughs> Purely just doing it for information, I don't or know. just because you know he's Stringer. Like he, he just he could. I mean, look at the guy, right? It's like, <laughs> I mean, Idris Elba didn't have, uh, or you know, Stringer Bell didn't have his. Uh, what do you have? Like when he'd go on certain shoots in certain areas, there'd be women like, you know, waving to his room or you know, oh, like yeah. cheering him on, you know, on set and so forth, trying to shoot their shot so he's a stud i mean you know probably a little bit of both right power plays yeah so i mean yeah it's like i don't know good stuff though it's a great thing to keep an eye on moving Got forward stuff we'll to see, unpack yeah see what see what uh yeah what hints might be uh drop you know what breadcrumbs are being sown yeah. about exactly i got one more thing to keep in mind willie thanks <laughs> no as problem. if i needed more that's no. it really interesting there's a uh, stuff going on with uh mcnulty and Rhonda perlman but i feel like we've yeah. kind of already covered it never how, ends <laughs> yeah we've already covered always like, how dysfunctional that is it's like this was the last time. It's like they're still riding that wave from, uh, yeah, the end of season one. Yeah. I guess Jimmy showing up. It's like know. a prerequisite for their relationship to work out at all is that they have to have like some huge career making case dangling in front of them in order for them to be like on the same page and happy with each other. I don't know. And pretend, like also... Um, preferably a city uh, parking garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that they can fornicate in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that fornication. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh uh, that's funny. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, they want to get into some segments here. Yeah, sure. Let's, uh, you want to start uh, off with, uh, <laughs> is it the Wire Universe? <laughs> start off with you want to get started there's a whole lot to share this episode <laughs> sure. it's like 
season two of uh, each season. I'm I'm interested because yeah, season episode two. Sorry, did I say season two of each season? That's you did. Yeah, I'm I'm super stable right now. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. They're, I'm just saying, episode two usually seems to be. Uh, you know, it's a little challenging because the stage has been set. So, right. Uh, but I don't know this one thing um, that I thought of. I thought maybe the name that uh, Krawcheck and and Valchek bring up. You know, as far as the uh, key lobbyists that Sabatka's looking to uh, funnel money to in order for uh, key projects Dave DiBiagio might be someone Uh, but not necessarily in the context of uh, you know how he's being discussed but uh, in the show but I just found it interesting that the uh, Maryland U.S. attorney who oversaw and prosecuted uh, the Ed Norris case uh, was named Thomas DiBiagio. So maybe it's a coincidence or I don't know how, you know, that relates to to Dave. But yeah, I mean, in in that case, you know, it was about Ed Norris's corruption and uh, how, you know, in that moment, uh, DiBiagio was like really adamant about not turning an, a blind eye to police corruption and so forth. And then in the show, uh, the DiBiagio that's referenced is, you know, essentially on the opposite side of that, you know, in bed with corrupt, uh, you know, he's corrupted by you know, dark money funneled from, you know, crime essentially that Frank's partaking in. That's kind of a flimsy uh, comparison, but you know, we got to work with what we got here, you know? Yeah. Our uh, segments are a little lean, kind of like the, uh, you know, the workflow for the, the checkers of the IBS. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, cool. You want to talk about that a little bit? All the pieces matter. Sure. Yeah. Let's get into it. Do you have anything, uh, for us or um i mean i think this would be applicable it's more of just an overall you know uh theme of the uh the season you know you mentioned simon's uh take on this uh you know on in the opening episode how it's a meditation on the death of work so just uh, also you know how you had just mentioned the opening scene with all the dead dead women uh, who had met their brutal fate suffocating in the container uh it made me think of this quote as well so i think this is from an interview david simon did with the new yorker but i mm. may not have the correct source but it's about the very simple idea in this postmodern world of ours, human beings, all of us, are worth less. We're worth less every day, whether you're a corner boy in West Baltimore or a cop who knows his beat or an Eastern European brought here for sex. Your life is worth less. It's the triumph of capitalism over human value. So I know that they mentioned, you know, the part of the world all those women are from. And as we'll learn, they have... 
uh, roots, you know, in Eastern Europe and so forth. So, right. And after, yeah, after Spiros and, uh, the Greek kill the guy that is, uh, you know, Sergei plays his part in torturing the guy who they find out is responsible for all those deaths. And they're, um, talking about, you know, the girls' lives, they were lost. Any, you know, rational thinking, feeling human being would be like, oh, that's so sad that these women have died, but they see it merely as like a financial setback, you know, like, oh, you know, well, that's millions of dollars that we're losing out on, but there will be other women that we can, we can, (laughs) (laughs) that's not good. (laughs) Oh shit. We got the Greek, uh... (laughs) well, he's not really Greek, but. Yeah. Siparakolo. Yeah. Uh so yeah. I mean that you know pretty much speaks for itself, but that's the you know, kind of the uh driving uh force of this season and you know the show in a whole in a way where as institutions fail, you know, the market kind of becomes what's uh, governing and that is inevitably going to let everyone down as well, or at least create some sort of permanent underclass that, uh, right. Yeah. Is really left on its, on its own. So yeah, yeah it's this brutal cycle. So they are not worth much. <laughs> Uh, is there anything? Oh uh, yeah. There's a weird, uh, I mean, I got some other stuff, but, uh, yeah. What do you have? Do you I have don't know if us? you want to, well, there's a, there's a quote in there that Frank sort of drops in, um, where he is talking to someone named Mims, I think, or I don't know if he can help me out, but he's on the phone with someone. He's like, yeah, I have my notes saying Mims, but he's, yeah, he's in his office saying seniority, no union without it. So that kind of made me think of like later on down the road, he's going to say something similar to his son, um, to Ziggy. And it's like, um, seniority prevails, Zig. It's the only way to keep halfway honest. So it's kind of like the theme of, uh, you know, nepotism and, um, right. you know, how even in the midst of all, all this, uh, criminal behavior, he's still trying to keep true to the foundations of the, uh, the brotherhood of the stevedores. Like, you know, it's all about family, but, uh, you know, we still need to keep the, the, the hierarchy of, you know, seniority and so forth. And that it's, it kind of ties into, I was talking about inspired Frank, more or less Frank, uh, Walt Benowitz saying like, yeah, he just pretty much, uh, you know, I admitted it in the little piece I pulled from the book, uh, that Rafael Alvarez, uh, right. compiled truth be told, like, yeah, yeah. Nepotism is a good thing. Like where he just outright said it, but he's like, it does have its you know limitations, but you know, right. can't always be relied upon, but so, you know, it's just kind of the dynamics surrounding Frank and um, the, uh, decisions that he's always forced to confront must be exhausting, but you know, can't really feel bad for him, even though do a little bit. Yeah. Chris Bauer evokes that, uh, you know, honesty or yeah. whatever you want to call it. He's got a lot of, yeah. 
And then like when I asked you about uh, Fraser, the ME, which would have been great for this segment and how his, uh, you know, experience in the mines. Uh, <laughs> well, no, you're like, well, I mean, people suffocate in the mines just like a container. So was it go. Frazier or that other bald guy? The other guy that was bald that was there with I the mean, he was he was helping him. He had some oh, okay. weird, uh, I don't know, it was like a, some like yeah formula formula uh, or some sort of like i don't know it's obviously well beyond my comprehension like it looked like a ruler with a sliding uh like mechanism that he could utilize to calculate things but yeah it was mostly fraser who's like a pretty interesting guy we don't really know too much about him i mean he's good at his job and he's yeah helpful i don't know how he's maybe i miss cues but he and jimmy always kind of get it like he helps jimmy out a lot you know? yeah it seemed, but then <laughs> there was like this kind of like sense of like oh like when he found out about the air pipe he was like okay you guys are in for the long haul you congratulations you got homicides yeah. on your hand like he was like i don't he's like Ugh. you got you guys <laughs> have some like masochistic yeah. tendencies here like i don't know why the fuck Ooh. you want to like sidle yourself with all this work yes more murders <laughs> yes jimmy's like much needed violence yes <laughs> what about a uh, horse space he's an interesting guy i look there's a little piece about him in that book too named uh about the actor charlie scalise oh uh, yeah it's like tailored for the role almost his upbringing in the in the south philly kind mm -hmm. of you know it uh it was a perfect fit where you know he could have been brought up in any any working class uh environment you know of baltimore so he does a pretty he does a great job you know yeah he really but did. good good car thief too but it's just so <laughs> like the way he stole that car so or the van it's like i don't know in my mind it happened differently like in broad daylight he just pretty much jimmied the lock and then hot wired it the wires were all just waiting for him and then he's just like yeah people think a, i'm a detective or something it was a little weird it was a little weird but uh you know they pro he probably has a uh, already he's got some uh confidence reserved uh and some skills built up from participating in petty uh vodka <laughs> thievery on the dock got the prereqs right yeah <laughs> don't want to like throw all the stevedores under the bus because yeah like i talked about the guy benowitz he's not not i don't know how happy all the uh real life inspirations were you know kind of being depicted as these uh petty criminals along and more serious uh you know thieves and so forth but i don't know but uh, yeah, got anything else you want to talk about? I don't uh, think so. I don't think your, any, uh, I don't think any of my pieces matter. <laughs> they do. What about uh? What's the act? Uh, White Mike was introduced for the first time, and you know we're excited. Oh, to yeah, White. talk a little about him. But his the actor who played him, I, I don't have the full name. It was uh, hold on, uh, Brooke 
Yaton, Y E A T O N, Brooke Yaton, who plays Michael. Yaton. I don't know. Yaton? First, you said it like almost sounded like you're like Yatan or something. I was like, oh, is he like uh, also like Israeli or something? Like the uh, Eton guy that, that they used to go intimidate the East Side dealers later on. But it's literally just like a down home, like, Irish sounding last name that you like <laughs> one really trying to dress up. <laughs> yeah, Brooke Eaton. Um, one of his few acting credits, he is part of uh, the art department on 48 other projects. He only has seven acting credits to his name. So it's kind of interesting. Check this out. He's also the son of casting director Pat Moran. Uh, really? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, what is it? Reality reflects fiction. This is a show that's all about nepotism. But as we can <laughs> see, they're engaging in some nepotism of their own. Yeah. Hey, I got a son that will just do great as a mid-level drug dealer who cusses this little rat face guy. <laughs> oh, White Mike. Also, I mean, that's, wow, that, okay. Yeah, never knew that. That's why we do this, right? Learn something each time, man. Yeah. But also, um, it's funny because, well, we got maybe some some nice posts coming of some found uh, early work, you know, mm -hmm. That's related right. to the first season and scripts and so forth. But you know, we I think I mentioned it early on that you know Jimmy was uh, slated to be Jimmy McArdle. Yeah, Bob Colesbury was like, yeah, or producers and. You know, whoever else kind of wasn't too too keen on that. And, uh, you know, he got the name McNulty from Colesbury's uh, own family line. But, yeah, apparently it, it was good enough for uh, Pat Moran's son, Mr. <laughs> Geaton. They're like, well, you're just going to be McArdle. So there you go. Yeah. That's why Mike. And we got a lot, you know, we got some connections coming probably down the line. Maybe some future guests. I don't want to hype it up because it could, you know, never materialize. Yeah. But uh, but Pat Moran, she's a great casting director, yeah. as is, you know, the evidence is in her work on the show. I mean, it's one of the most well cast pieces of a narrative storytelling ever. Yeah. Without her, I mean, because she's the local yeah, she's a local casting, right? Uh, the, her IMDb profile, uh, she's her biography states that she's a mid-Atlantic based casting director. So that's probably, I mean, but she's where she's also worked on like Veep, yeah, Fogel, Veep, Straight Out of Compton, uh, Lincoln, all kinds of, you know, not just specific to Baltimore, but uh, yeah, Enemy of the but, State is filmed in Baltimore, stuff like that. She worked on Homicide, Life on the Street. Yeah, and she's, I mean, I guess the name I was searching for. I mean, of course, I agree with all that. But yeah, she, I mean, Alexa Fogel is the main HBO uh -huh. casting director, I think. I don't know why I blinked on that. But, yeah. you know, she worked on a lot of really popular HBO shows and more. But yeah, Pat Moran, super crucial in working with people like the Baltimore Arts or, you know, and Ghouls and, and theater, local theater, people like 
Maria Broom and Robert Chu, who, yeah. you know, really mentored a lot of the, uh, you know, the young and not so young cast, uh, cast right. and crew, especially in season four and so forth. Unsung but that's pretty funny. Four. And we're, 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 uh, and we're also not really good at like hammering home these, uh, uh, casting and, uh, like the nepotism surrounding casting rather. Because every every time we do, I think this is the second time now. We're like, but but no, they're really like they do a great job. Like with the uh, Michael Kostroff and yeah. like oh Nina Kostroff Noble or you know the main you know one of the executive producers. Like oh wait wait, I mean he's a phenomenal actor. Too. Yeah, he really check out is. all his other work. <laughs> I mean he really is a great actor. Yeah. Oh, he wrote a book about how to nail down an audition. Also, yeah. my sister is executive producer. But but seriously though, I can't uh, I can't imagine anybody uh, else but him in that role. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, have you checked out Plot Against America? It's he's phenomenal as well. Yeah, playing a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also phenomenal. And uh, isn't he like in a, but I mean, he's in a lot of things, but he's like a professor is like, uh, you know, like, is it in uh fuck? What's that? Luke Cage type movie or something? Mm, I don't know. Where he's like trying to surreptitiously do his work out in the country in his barn, but he like falls victim, you know, to the, to the larger conspiracy surrounding I don't know. I'm not a sci-fi guy at all, so I don't know that one. I mean, if you would catch up, uh, you know, <laughs> with your IMDb references or whatever. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, what else? Uh, that was a pretty great pull, though. I'm really glad we went down that little rabbit hole with the uh, yeeting. <laughs> Yeet. <Really? laughs> there we go. Oh man, can't wait though for some white Mike tales from from the homeland of ours. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Uh, what else? Was there something funny I had? Mm, no. Geography? Yeah, yeah. you want to get into Geo Genius? <laughs> <laughs> I am the genius. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, a little light here. I mean, oh, um, little Johnny, if I just read between the lines, sometimes I find these things. I've been like killing myself. Where's this little Greek diner that they're always meeting at? <laughs> little Johnny. Again, I've realized that searching for things currently on, you know, that using current Google Maps is not effective when a lot of things that existed almost two decades ago now don't, you know, no longer... Uh, no longer stand in Baltimore, especially with all the changes, but it's on South Clinton street, right. which is, uh, pretty much frames the other, the Eastern end of the Harbor. Uh, so it's just South of Canton and then pretty much is, uh, it's all, you know, it's like just right along the shipping, all the main, like there's like some terminal. So it's pretty isolated. I don't know how effective it would be really as like a secret mating place because it seemed, you know, I mean, of course, back then there was probably more happening, but it's, I mean, it'd be the equivalent of, you know, a, a like, Hey guys, want to discuss some crime, like, uh, on a pretty barren, like industrial patch, like on the port of Oakland, like <laughs> no one will notice us here, you know? Uh, yeah. but you know, if it's like a local spot, you know, people are coming and going. So it's a little easier to, to, right. You know, 
keep things keep things hushed i mean i like it I, I, I like it how they uh they exhibit the restraint in like saying a lot of things i mean they're pretty frank is pretty angry with them and he's yeah. giving them a what for but it's still like oh, i gotta be i'm in a public place so i can't raise my voice too much yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was good. I liked yeah. it. I liked your uh, act out too. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I can imagine you like getting mad at your roommate like that. Like it's really like I really want to. I can't yell at you as loud as I wanted to right now. Also, there might be just some random Greek guy hanging out in the bathroom. <laughs> <That's funny>. No, <laughs> Oh Yeah, we never talked about that explicitly, right? Separacolo. Is that it? I'm probably... I should... What Sam is saying at the end yeah. where they're torturing him. Yeah, so Sam is Turkish, the Greek, like, or, you know, again, not really Greek, he says, but, you know, he's the Greek. Obviously, he speaks Greek. He speaks Portuguese, apparently. This guy just, I mean, the Greek is just a man of great mystery. He's a renaissance um, man. Yeah. Uh, something tells yeah, I mean, he would probably get along with Lester, even though they are on complete opposite sides of things. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, they had some pretty interesting conversations, but, you know, he's well-traveled and whatnot, but. Yeah. The guy's Turkish, but he's speaking Greek to them because, you know, they border one another. So, hey, I guess in a roundabout way, this uh, kind of tied into geography. You know, they there you go. Um, the AGNC, all that similar, uh, you know, environs, but obviously very uh, different cultures. And we see the Greeks disdain for the Turks after he's you know, has his throat slit. Right. So obviously the, he doesn't view a Turkish guy. Uh, you know, he's cost him a large sum of money based on some pretty trivial or not trivial, but the circumstance that led to the death of the women is just, you know, it's like he was trying to profit by almost like pimping them out to the sailors or you know, it's really messed up all around, but he doesn't view a, a Turkish guy, someone he needs to, you know, be beholden to as far as his word is concerned. So word is not bond in that situation, but yeah, what he's saying, I think it's just him pleading for his life. It just means please. Yeah. A lot of uh, regional uh, conflict kind of being brought to the surface by this scenario. And I'm sure we'll get more into all that and uh, so forth. Uh, anyways, moving on from little Johnny's and the Greeks and all that. Well, they mentioned, uh, some pretty specific stuff that led to why Tillman hates Weebay and is bullying him and destroying his, uh, his right. toy fish setup, uh, and all that. Um, they killed LaDante, who's Tillman's cousin right. at Carver. I think they're referencing Carver Vocational School, which is located on Bentaloo and Pressman, in the Coppin Heights neighborhood. So that's, you know, it would be northwest of the uh, Lexington Terrace and all that good stuff or frankly excuse me franklin terrace but yeah just a vocational school still up and running it's uh they got some pretty decent reviews uh yeah, like, yeah. but uh any that yeah. you'd care to <laughs> <laughs> uh they weren't like too <laughs> we're not gonna uh, find any gold like we did with the reptile room. i don't think i think yeah. that I, I think it'd be hard to recreate the reptile room experience <laughs> Well, someone did say practice. All of my family graduated from Carver. 
<laughs> Someone else said, can't wait to get out of this clown school. <laughs> Someone posted who's a local guy, but their username is super bizarre. I don't even know how to, like how credible this individual. Once you gym in, you can't gym out to you. I don't even know what the hell they mean. The school is pretty good. It's just the kids seem to not have been raised right. Ooh, a little bit more from the first review. Uh, maybe provide some context. Practice. <laughs> All of my family graduated from Carver. It really is a great trade school, gearing our youth up for what lies ahead in their future. So see, first lines can be deceiving, man. Shame yeah. on you if you judge. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you know, named after George Washington Carver. Mm -hmm. And uh, seems, you know, they should have kept this old school name. I don't know what that is. Should have done more research. It's still prepared students for college, tech school, or the workforce. It was highly competitive to get into in the 70s. So, yeah. I mean, it seems though like we veered away in our education expectation, educational expectations, as we'll see the uh, farce of No Child Left Behind in uh, season four. <laughs> Oh, look, let's see. I'm sending this review from Tennessee. I'm not familiar with the school, but I have seen video footage of a child who assaulted a teacher. <laughs> and the teacher who defended herself just wanted to say on behalf of the teacher, I'm citing on behalf of the teacher and condone her for defending herself. Too many teachers and school authorities are being blamed for unruly children when the Ooh. discipline starts at home. Oh, so this might tie back into how kids there <laughs> wow. aren't raised right, according to one reviewer. That just opens uh, up a, I feel like we need a whole other podcast episode to discuss the, you know. I mean, you know, that ties into a whole lot of other overarching issues in the community that are addressed in the show, I think. But I don't want to get too, too down on it and stuff. But Phantom Master gave it one star. <laughs> That's no good. But anyways, it's just crazy how they weave all these uh, like locations and storylines into, you know, something that could be so easily dismissed as, oh, yeah, that guards a bully. You are in right. jail. But it's like everything that's tied in and into that yeah. and how that inevitably leads to Tillman getting set up and busted for drugs Le and yeah. hot shots. <laughs> leading to him getting set up and then also just like leading to him probably through years of trauma and grief and all that resorting to selling drugs on the side in addition to his uh, position as a correctional officer. Yeah, it's I mean, kind of uh, showing his fractured psyche there. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's not an uncommon thing. Yeah, and I got more true. coming like as far as, you know, the prison systems and corruption and so forth. Exactly. But I mean, yeah, let's not let it get lost that he did, you know, have a family member murdered by the Barksdales and they were just laughing it off like oh we may kill so many people that you know we gotta have like a tally <laughs> that, was, that was pretty, pretty chilling sad. avon was like oh you're so lethal i can't keep up with you also something that uh, popped up again was an outside shot of the clement street bar and i know i just i show my hand way too soon again i'm really bad at this where um, that's okay i'm like oh willie i couldn't 
locate the street signs, you know, in that shot. So I happened across this location map for the show. I try to do things organically here, but you know, if I would have just waited one more episode, I would have literally seen East Clement and Jackson street uh, in the daytime shot. The main point of this is that we get a, our first, I think, daytime shot of uh, Domino Sugar, which there is go. Yeah. in the background. And I know I've talked about it and we discussed its significance, you know, in the city and so forth. But in doing a little extra reading recently, which I've been trying to get back on top of, uh, especially because the season presents new challenges and so forth, i.e. not having an entire uh like yeah whatever page article basically <laughs> explaining all the references so it's a little more challenging but uh just some you know why not a little cause some facts from the 90s about uh domino sugar sign right. it's the second largest uh field of neon on the east coast it's, it was a hundred it's 120 feet by 70 feet uh so that's pretty impressive. I don't really understand all the context of that, but uh, there's about 650 neon tubes and 760 amps per hour God are put damn. into uh, powering that sign. It could, uh, yeah, from nightfall until the time the bars closed, which we know the Clement Street bar really never does. So that doesn't really fit, but uh, it would essentially uh, expand enough uh, or power um, the equivalency of 15 households during that time span. Wow. Cost about $70,000 a year to power and maintain it. Uh, yeah, I don't know how, like adjusted for inflation. I'm sure it's a lot more now if, if they haven't adjusted their mechanisms. Oh, but apparently the Domino Sugar Corporation, it generates its own power. So, but it, in 1974, apparently there was a U.S. energy crisis, which I wasn't aware of. And they turned the oh, sign sure. off for during that, uh, time span as, uh, you know, gesture of goodwill. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, it's just like, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was just to like everyday Baltimoreans. I mean, it looms large yeah. throughout the show for it's, sure. Uh, you know, it's, they, they call it their, their lighthouse. And, yeah. uh, you know, aside from its significance, you know, symbolically, it's also the star by which intoxicated boaters navigate out of the in inner harbor. <laughs> uh, and the incandescent soul of a city built not on pleasure, as the modern waterfronts marinas might suggest, but the kind of hard work that takes place in the refinery whose product the sign represents. Uh, beautiful words from Rafael Alvarez. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Yeah. Well, yeah. So a little, little background there. I don't know. You know, I'm glad that he had his chance to, to contribute to this season because if we're up to Ed Burns, yeah, they might not even have done a season two on this subject. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or season, really or is the whole of season two would just be a day in the life of the stevedores and like every yeah. minuscule detail on what they do throughout their work day. 
They have one one container, like a life cycle of one container being moved. And I think he just Ed Burns was like, well, we created this whole world season one. Why do you want to deviate? You know, I'm the cop. I know I know this stuff. Also, he he's not fixed. interested in politics. So he's like, Oh no, that was Pelicanos. He's like, eh, I could do it without season three. But everyone's like, This is the best TV. Yeah, he Anyways, has very specific interests. That's about it. Cool. Um, oh shit! <laughs> One more thing. Sorry. No, go ahead. We might be able to fit this in. It should have been for uh, the Wire World or Universe. The whole Dominican connect. There, you know, that's uh, like yeah. a well-known. I mean, it's like an East Coast. No, you know, it's known on the East Coast. That's where a lot of cocaine and so forth comes in from. <laughs> Or is like a transshipment point, the DR. Uh, Roberto being Dominican, you know, there was a pretty big case where uh, Kenny Bird Jackson and his right-hand man, Walter Lewis Ingram, they got accused and, and put on trial for the murder of their Dominican connect and uh, allegedly uh, a man named yeah, Felix Gonzalez was found murdered in a park up in New York. So kind of maybe some parallels between Roberto's status in New York and but also deviating from how Avon and Stringer handled things like, oh, that guy had our money and we got no product. Uh, we'll just get the money back. But like the real life gangsters of Baltimore were like, oh, this guy took 60 grand from us and we didn't get our two kilos. We're going to go get a we're going to get a truck and then take him, put him in the back and then shoot him in the head, leave him in a park. And then eventually those guys, you know, got off, uh, in 1991, I believe. So that really upset courts down in Baltimore. Well, they got off in New York where they were tried, but in Baltimore, they were like, come on, we couldn't nail Kenny Bird down for any of the like uh, 47 things that he was charged with or whatever. Yeah, but New York can't even as well. Good Lord. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't bring that up in order. That's okay. Could have helped. We don't know how me bringing that up in order would have maybe impacted our energy and the trajectory of the last part of this conversation (laughs) could have made all the difference, but I think it was pretty solid. So I don't know if you have any uh, other things you want to bring up for geo genius. No, I don't think so. Or just anything. Cause I'm out of things. So if you, you you want to bring anything up before we wrap up, now's the time. Any things you forgot? Oh, yeah. Shit. I forgot that we have a, a last segment. <laughs> I'm super stable today. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I forgot a lot of stuff, I think. I forgot that... Uh, uh, Detective Polk. Is that what you're going to mention? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely one of them. You reminded me of that, that to bring that up, but yeah, Polk like out of rehab, I guess. Uh, <laughs> like we're just you know on on course. Like where's right. where's the person signing overtime? <laughs> Coming into Valchek's detail, which is, they're all full of humps and are, as McNulty would say, drunks and fuck ups. And uh, yeah, no, I don't. 
Prezbaluski is only really the only one that knows how much of a liability Polk is to be in on this uh, whole thing. I forgot that Stringer literally got allowed by the guards to pretty much walk up to the fence on the yard of the, you know, where everyone's, I think it's the cut, right? Or Jessup. I yeah. want to say, uh, it's like, like they have, you know, their methods of greasing everybody properly to, to get these privileges that no one else gets. I forgot that Tillman hates the Barksdales and pretty much signs his, uh, you know, death uh, wish or whatever you want to call it with Avon. Right. Because they killed his cousin. There's a specific reason as to why Tillman has beef with them. You forgot the specific. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that. I just was like, oh, yeah, you want to target that guy because he sells drugs. But I didn't know it was like also his out, but also revenge for being slighted in front of everyone in the uh, wreck area or whatever you want to call that common area for the prisoners. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Tillman's got some uh, cojones for sure. Yeah. Bold. But he hates him. But Avon still thinks, you know, the everybody will kind of like bend to his will, so to speak, or he's still relying on the the old power that he once had and feels like that's gonna be enough for him to kind of negotiate his way through anything. But he's uh given a rude awakening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm cool. forgetting a lot. I'm forgetting the things I forgot. Unfortunately, my bad. It's all good. You know, we have a whole, you know, 46 more episodes <laughs> to go to air all of this out. Um, I don't know if you have anything else, but I wanted to make a correction. Hopefully we don't have to start our own segment for uh, Jakob's historical fuck ups, but no, I'm sure. We no, don't. I just, uh, I guess last episode I could say that I forgot the proper context of which the uh, star spangled banner was birthed. So I'm not the best uh, Patriot here, uh, that. but uh, I said that Fort McHenry was where it was written but in reality it was just the battle of baltimore they called it that took place mm-hmm. in the vicinity of fort McHenry, and the bombardment of it by the british in 1814 is what inspired francis scott key to pen like what became most of the star spangled banner but he was miles away of course he wasn't in the thick of things uh to my knowledge so i don't know if i said that clearly so i just wanted to clear that up for all our uh, patriotic listeners out there who definitely i know the wire has a huge uh, base of patriots that uh forgive you really into the show yeah i forgive you patriotic show yeah i forgive you for totally shafting (laughs) uh the wires fan base like that with your uh Gross inaccuracies. (laughs) It's funny because I could recall, like, pretty much, I believe what I believe is factually true, like, how, you know, ironic it was that they named a liberty ship after a guy who ruled that black people had no uh, liberty in this country. And I nailed, like, that all down. But then I can't remember how 
you know, the Star Spangled Banner was actually created. So, like, we see what uh, things I'm focused on. Tom Cotton's going to censor me. Uh, yeah, well, he's probably not too happy with me either. Anyway, uh, <laughs> is there right. anything else you forgot that uh, that you want to uh, bring up? Uh I think I'm pretty good on my end. Okay, mister. Like, I recall pretty much everything. Well, I'm trying to... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I forgot that WeeBay was so emotional when they destroyed his plastic fish. (laughs) I I low-key forgot about the whole fish thing, but he's, like, really hurt. Like, he's just, like... (laughs) See, some humanity. Better parent, WeeBay or McNulty? No. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and we got we got a Hall of Fame of bad parents here. WeeBay, though we don't know it yet. McNulty, Brianna Barksdale, Frank Sabatka. Just uh, picture picture perfect examples of what not to do when raising your youngins. Yeah, we got polls coming probably on social, and and we'll discuss these things. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, let's you know remind me to do that or. You can I, I want to get into it because I still can't figure out how to log into Instagram, but I can't. No, that's, to be, I think that's I my. Uh, I think that's my fault. fault. It's me because I don't take Gary V's advice and believe in the one post away mantra. But by the way, it's people like him uh, that contribute to all the like just droves of awful content out there because everyone's like, "This is it, I'm one post away." Oh hey, don't don't talk shit about Gary V. Come on now. <laughs> what you can't do this? I have receipts. <laughs> I know the man's full name, Vanerchuk. <laughs> He's Belarusian uh, American. Belarusian American. We are not a Belarusophobic podcast. <laughs> Uh, anyways, well, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, all right. Anyways, all yeah. right. Thanks for uh, listening, tuning in, bearing with us here. I'll yeah. let you take it away, Willie. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. We had a great time regaling you with tales of the docks in uh, this uh, Docktober we're experiencing right now. Uh, if you have, uh, 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 if you have anything you want to say to us, drop us a line on the social media. We're active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, and if you, you know, aren't on any of those platforms, you can always reach us uh, via email at the gods will not save you at gmail.com. There we We'd go. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and please uh, give us some money at <laughs> anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. Yes, thanks to all of our supporters out there. We appreciate you uh, and your generosity you know, and support of this podcast. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah. And a uh, special shout out to Andre Tesnes for doing the great design work for our podcast logo. Yes, thank you, bud. And also shout out to my guy, Mostart, for hooking it up with the original uh, music for our intro, outro, and bumper music. Yeah. That's he's what it's a, called. He's a great guy, <laughs> that Mostart. Yeah, check him check him out. Uh, Mostart.com. He's got some great, great uh, work up on his site. So. Hell yeah. Much more catalog to enjoy. Great. All right. Awesome. Thanks again, everybody. Uh, Amazing.
Thanks, Willie. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon, bud.